Welcome to the Informed Pregnancy and Parenting Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Elliot Berlin. You have tuned into an after episode. My guest today is founder of the insanely popular skinny confidential blog and lifestyle brand and half of the dynamic duo behind the skinny confidential him and her podcast. She joined us during her pregnancy for a before birth episode. And now that her baby has arrived, we can't wait to hear how everything went. Lauren Everts Bostick, welcome back to the podcast. Hi, thank you for having me again. Congratulations. Thank you. It's really weird that you're a mom. It's so weird that I'm a mom because I told you this before, I'm not super maternal. I never dreamed of this area of my life. So to actually be a mom is surreal. I'm very excited to kind of find out how everything went, both in terms of the end of your pregnancy and birth, and also how motherhood's treating you. Let's start at the beginning. So I know that the whole pregnancy was a journey for you. I met you towards the middle, and you didn't really seem to have any information about pregnancy choices, birth choices, postpartum choices, and you just started to do some research along the way and try to get some information along the way. By the end, how was it for you? First of all, how was the pregnancy like physically and emotionally for you? And also, what information did you pick up? I am the type of person that until I'm thrust into whatever experience it is, I don't plan. So I'm not like creating a Pinterest board or a nursery or a wedding. Like I like to actually be thrust into the process and like see it for myself and experience it for myself, not through anyone else's eyes. For instance, when I got married, it was like I wanted to go through all the motions and see how I wanted to curate the experience as opposed to like looking at what everyone else was doing and then formulating my own sort of like brand for my wedding. So when it came to my pregnancy, I didn't do any research on getting pregnant. I had too many margaritas that El Coyote (laughs) and we got pregnant. And then I was really, really secretive about my pregnancy at first, like for five months, I didn't tell anyone because I wanted to really sink in the experience and and just go through it by myself without everyone's opinion. Because as you know, and you see this like with pregnancy and having babies, like so many people have so many opinions, your family, your friends, outside sources, when you're an influencer, you like you get, you know, a lot of different opinions. So I wanted to just go through those five months without any of that. And towards midway through the pregnancy, I had no one else's opinion other than really myself and kind of the research that I'd done online. So I met you, like you said, mid-pregnancy, and I found you to be someone that I really want, I wanted to pick your brain. You know, you know so much about the whole process. So I told you my thoughts on pregnancy, which were immediately I wanted a C-section and I didn't want to breastfeed. And I told you that, and looking back, I didn't know enough to sort of make that blanket statement, but it was me going through it with my blinders on, not knowing anyone else's experience. That obviously didn't happen. We can get into that. But yeah, the midway through the pregnancy, I had had those two decisions already made. I was getting a C-section and I was not breastfeeding. So you probably are laughing right now. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, it just changed because you didn't have anything to base that decision on really. I mean, for you, why didn't you want to have a vaginal birth and why didn't you want to breastfeed? I would say like if I'm being completely honest and I think that my platform does have a lot to do with being completely honest, it's for vain reasons. At first, I just didn't want to have to squeeze a baby through my vagina. And that's the honest answer. I wanted like the princess package tied up in a bow, like seamless experience. (laughs) So I thought seamless, right? I thought you just like go and you show up and they 
give you a C-section and then they like wrap the baby up and hand it to you. That's obviously not what happens. That's just what I thought. And I'm telling you what I thought because I did not look at what anyone else was doing. It's just my assumption of what the process was. And as for breastfeeding, I had just gotten a boob job by Dr. Barrett, who I love, a year ago. And I had a boob job when I was 18 and I just got them replaced. So like 10 years later. So I wanted to like keep my boobs looking perky and and great. And I didn't realize that there are ways that you can make your boobs still look great if you're breastfeeding. Like that's a misconception that I had. Mm. So um, those were the two reasons. And now that I've had a baby, like my, my brain has been blown up. That's my misconceptions were just that they were misconceptions. So aside from our chats, by the time you got to the end of pregnancy, were there other places where you're getting information from? Yes. What I do is I kind of pick five people. I say this a lot on my podcast. I am a big consumer of Mark Manson's content. And he wrote this book called um, Everything is Fucked. (laughs) And in it, he talks about how we're constantly inundated with information through the news and through Facebook and Instagram. And like we're constantly being fed information. And there's so many different opinions. So it's like if you set out to lose weight, and you try 600 diets, they're not going to work. But if you focus on one, you know, that's probably going to work. So what I did with my pregnancy is I zoned in on like two or three mothers who I really respected. I liked their parenting style. And then I went to a couple of practitioners like you. I have my doula. And, um, you know, there's a couple other people in the industry that I met through podcasting that I really just like their vibe, their energy, how, how their parents, and I just really went to those people and collected information, kind of put it in my bowl of information and then pulled what I liked and just left what I didn't and sort of tried to curate my own experience with pregnancy. So your plans obviously changed. We'll get into that in just a second. How did you feel at the end of pregnancy? I felt horrible. I felt like I was carrying around 50 pounds of potatoes Um, I ended up gaining 55 pounds. I talked about it on my blog. It might have even been more than that because I weighed myself at 40 weeks and I delivered at 41 weeks. So it could have been like 60 pounds. And the pressure and the, the weight, literally of the weight, was so much on my feet, on my legs, on my ankles. And it was just really heavy to carry around. I also never took a nap during my entire pregnancy. I was go, go, go. I was working full time. I literally worked out, I think, every single day of my pregnancy up until the day my water broke. So that's kind of amazing, though, that you felt so crappy, but still pushed yourself to work out. It is amazing. But at the same time, like, I don't know, is it bad that I pushed myself? Should I maybe have taken that as an opportunity to relax? I don't know if it's amazing. I don't look at it like a hero thing. Like, I don't know if it was good or bad. I can't decide. I think ultimately, being able to move around, keep your blood circulating. It's good, generally, unless you're suffering from the workout, it's good for you. And it's good for the baby. And it sets you up for a better recovery afterwards. But I gained so much weight. I mean, Maybe I would have gained more if I didn't work out. I don't know. Do you think you gained a lot of weight because that's just how your body handled pregnancy or did you eat really crappy? I think it was a mixture. I think that I'm curvy. I'm not like a stick. So I think that weight is easier to pack on for me. I also think I have huge boobs. So, you know, whatever was happening there was happening. And I, what I did is I ate really, 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 really healthy. 
but I also ate not so good. So like I would say 80% of my day was like the healthiest you've ever seen. And then 20% was like, eat whatever you want. So it's not like I just ate really shitty the whole pregnancy. I tried to crowd it out. It's like I would eat really healthy until like four o'clock and then have mac and cheese. So <laughs> I, I definitely certainly ate really healthy and we can get into like things I really think helped with the, like building the baby, but I did definitely indulge and, and eat what I want. So and is that something that you didn't do before pregnancy? No, there's no way I would have eaten mac and cheese. Like the amount I ate mac and cheese, it, it should be in the hall of fame. I ate <laughs> the Guinness pregnancy book of world food records. Yeah, it was bleak. <laughs> uh, I would say that seeing you right up until the end of pregnancy, I did notice that you were very uncomfortable. Your body changed a lot. And one thing that I thought was pretty cool, though, even though you were so uncomfortable, you generally had a good demeanor and a smile. And I mean, I you have to. It's like everything that's going on right now, you have to have a good attitude because at the end of the day, you can't control it. It is what it is. I'm 41 weeks pregnant. I'm having the baby. I get to see you. I'm so blessed. A lot of people don't get to see you at 41 weeks. Uh, so, you know, to be able to see you and have you work on my body and like I practice a lot of stoicism. It is what it is. Like I am pregnant. I'm 41 weeks. I might as well embrace it and laugh about it and be self-deprecating because what else can I do? You know, I can sit there and complain, but like I'll just leave that for my husband. <laughs> well, not everybody has that outlook. So it was really a joy to work with you at that time. Going into the pregnancy, you know, you took your five people that you were getting advice from. Did you have a loose plan for birth? I had a plan for birth, but like I just said, the stoicism aspect is like, I knew that like not everything's going to go the way I want it. So I had a loose outline for birth. And if it didn't go that way, I was going to be able to pivot and make decisions based on that. I honestly looked at pregnancy like the way I look at my business. And that is, is that you have a business, but things change and attention goes different places. So if I start to see the attention in my business going to podcasting, I'm going to be able to pivot from blogging to podcasting. If I start to see with podcasting that it's going to TikTok, I need to be able to pivot and I need to be able to pivot quickly. And that's the way I looked at birth. If I was wanting a vaginal birth, but all of a sudden it started to be a C-section, like I was going to go with it. I think that where people get in trouble maybe is they have such a clear visual of how they want it to go. And when it doesn't go that way, they get upset. And where I didn't want to do that was I didn't want that energy of being upset to go to the baby. And I'm very much about energy. So I really gave myself like a self-talk. Like if it doesn't go the way you want, then just be able to move and move fluidly and be seamless and don't wallow in the emotion for a while. And I think that just really has to do with being logical over emotional. I think that's really smart. And how you have the best emotional outcome is you have your intentions, but you also have flexibility so that if, you know, once you're driving, uh, there's a detour, then you just take a different route to get to your destination. And that exactly. sounds like what you did. So, but if you could have your choice A plan by the end, then you switched from a definite cesarean to ideally vaginal and in a hospital with a doctor. Did you have any other thoughts? So at first I said, when I met you, I wanted a C-section. I was being vain. And then as I went on and I really talked to some really smart, knowledgeable people, I realized, okay, a vaginal birth seems like something that I want to do. And 
I think it's good for the baby to come through the, the vaginal canal. And I wanted to do delayed bathing where you don't bathe them for a while after birth. And it just felt right to me. So I talked with my doula and told her that I wanted to do, if possible, a vaginal birth. And I wanted to do it in the hospital because obviously like people ask you all these questions about birth when you have a baby for the first time, but it's like, I've never done it. So how do I know what I want to do until I've done it? I knew that I just wanted the hospital at my fingertips. And I think if I had another baby, I would still do it in the hospital. And I think that part of that has to do with my husband. Like I'm very intuitive to his personality too. And I know he feels more comfortable in the hospital. And again, it goes back to energy. If I were to have a baby at the house, I know he'd be super panicked and I don't want that energy around me. If it was just me and it wasn't my husband involved, I don't know if I'd feel the same way, but just, and it's not that he says you can only do it in the hospital. I'm just attuned to that vibe from him. And I don't want his energy dictating the experience. So in knowing him, I think a hospital birth is best for everyone. Just like the birth plan, I definitely wanted an epidural. And in knowing that I wanted an epidural, I decided that I would ask for one before I needed one. I wanted to feel the effects of the epidural before I even really needed it. Because it's like, what if you know you're going to get an epidural, what's the point of waiting until you're in so much pain, you can barely breathe. So I asked for one, you know, definitely way sooner than I needed it. And I have to say that epidural is the best trip. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this sounds like a great place to take a break. And then when we come back, we'll get your whole birth story. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with Lauren Everts Bostick. Hey everyone, it's Dr. Berlin, and I want to talk to you about something that is close to my heart, literally, omega-3. It's a crucial nutrient that's sadly overlooked. With 95% of women deficient, Needed, the supplement brand I trust, created their brand new omega-3 soft gels. Designed by perinatal experts, they support you and your baby's well-being from fertility to pregnancy and beyond. Unlike other brands, Needed's Omega-3 is sustainable, pesticide-free, and third-party tested for purity. Plus, my favorite, it has a milder taste and smell, perfect for sensitive mamas. Don't wait. Visit thisisneeded.com and use code BERLIN to get 20% off your initial order. Experience the needed difference, consciously crafted for your health and the planet. Welcome back to the Informed Pregnancy Podcast. We're talking to Lauren Everts from the Skinny Confidential. All right. So now that your plan changed, 41 weeks we know is when labor started for you. How did it begin? So on Friday, I worked out, normal day, did Pilates, walked home. I waddled home. (laughs) Uh, Barely made it because you have to pee every five seconds. And got into a huge fight with my husband. He was annoying me. And I looked it up, I guess, when you're about to go into labor or your water's about to break, you get really moody. So that made sense. Mm. Um, I ended up going downstairs Friday night and something like popped, it felt like, and water came out. And so I texted him to be a bitch and said, (laughs) wow, you broke my water. Like, I wanted it to be really dramatic, you know? <laughs> he was upstairs, so he got the text. I could hear him run down like a psycho. <laughs> and I checked, and the mucus plug had come out. And so I knew that I wanted to labor at home as long as possible. I hate needles. 
And so I didn't want to have to just like rush to the hospital and be hooked up to a needle. So we called our doula and she said, do nothing. So we just laid in bed, watched movies, fell asleep. I knew I wanted to look somewhat presentable at the hospital. And so I booked Glam Squad the next day. I had nails, pedicure, hair come to my house. Oh, well, this is Saturday morning. Yes. Wait a second. Well, your baby's going to see you for the first time. Yeah, my baby's going to see me, like, Instagram story. You never know if we're getting a picture. We weren't having, like, a photographer in the delivery room, which is very L.A. We weren't doing that. But I just Mm -hmm. wanted to, like, feel good. Like, I knew I wasn't going to be having my hair washed for a while. So I wanted everything looking cute. I don't want chip nails. You know what I mean? Wait, so from the time your water broke and your plug came out, overnight you didn't have any contractions? Yeah, I had a couple very, very light contractions. The contractions really started around 3 p.m. the next day on Saturday. Hmm. And I decided to be very quiet about it because I knew if I complained to my husband, he would want to go to the hospital. So again, I was just very um, fragile with that. I didn't let him know how bad they were until like 9 o'clock at night. And I was like, okay, they're getting pretty bad. Like I couldn't do a poker face with them. And so I kind of labored at home for a day and a half. And well, wait till you hear like what ended up happening when I got to the hospital. (laughs) So we went to the hospital. My husband knows how bad of vasovagal, vasovagal. I don't know how to say it. Vasovagal. Yes. I have the worst vasovagal, like the worst you've ever seen. So you start to pass out? Pass out. So he decides to park at the emergency room. Horrible, horrible, horrible idea for someone that has the condition I have. So he puts me in a wheelchair to take me up to labor and delivery. And we go through the emergency room and there's people on their hands and knees throwing up someone without a limb. Like people have broken, like everything was going on. You could possibly imagine, which is horrible. So we get up there and my blood pressure is off the charts. Mm. So they admit me, they put me in, and they want to start me on Pitocin right away. Why? Oh, because it's been so long? They think it's been so long. I've labored at home for so long. Like, you you got to get on Pitocin right away. And I said, you know, I'm not ready for Pitocin right away. So this is something where if I can give the audience any kind of value, it's like, you have to be your own advocate. You have to go into this process knowing that not everyone knows exactly what's right for you. You know what's right for you. And you need to take everyone's opinion and absorb it, but also be really in tune with what you want. So we had my doula there, my husband. I said, I want to wait for Pitocin a little bit. And so we did wait a little bit, but after a couple hours, I mean, I, I could have stayed there for three days if I didn't get it. So we, I did end up going on it, but it was at my own pace. And then they found out that my water was actually not broken. It oh, was- it was just your mucus plug. No, it was a hind leak. Do you know what a hinge leak? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, basically just a leak, but not your whole bag of water didn't break. Yes. And so the nurse went up there and just popped it and all this water came out. So oh. that, uh, and maybe they wouldn't have put me on Pitocin had they had known my water wasn't broken. They did a test and the test came back that it was and it ended up it wasn't. So, you know, maybe there was a part of me inside that knew that my water wasn't fully broken and I didn't want Pitocin. So it's like, again, going back to that, like you really do have to be your own advocate. And 
I asked for the epidural, like I said, really, really early on. I got the epidural. I'm so afraid of needles. It was not that bad for anyone who's afraid of needles. That's really good to know because I think sometimes people are terrified because it is kind of a big needle. It's not bad. I can't believe that I'm saying that. It's not that bad. But they numb you first. They numb you first and you think, oh my God, it's in my spine, but you can't really feel it. Right. It's, it's interesting. And I had the most comfortable laboring experience because of this epidural. I had like the best experience one could have. <laughs> this was great. But I will say with an epidural, it's really important that you switch sides because they lay you on one side and the epidural goes to that leg. So if you're on that side for too long, you can't feel the epidural on the other side. And so you'll feel pain. Does that make sense? Yeah, that happens sometimes where it's just affecting half your body and then you got to flip over and let it trickle into the other side. Yeah. So you have to make sure that they're flipping you. Yeah. Um. The nurses were all amazing. I had one nurse that was a lot. It was too much for me. She wanted me to flip onto my stomach. And you can't flip onto your stomach when you're nine and a half months pregnant. And Why, why on your stomach? I don't know. She really wanted me to flip on my stomach. And it was so overwhelming that I started crying. And I'm not a really big crier. And so for me, that was like a signal that this wasn't the right nurse for me. And again, just so your audience knows, like when you're going into the hospital, it is so important that you are your own advocate or you have a doula or your husband speaks up if something doesn't feel right because it's your body. Did you ask for a different nurse? We very nicely asked for a different nurse because we had all these amazing nurses and then there was this one nurse that just wasn't right for my energy. And my whole experience was like candles and an oil diffuser and meditation music and just very, very mellow vibes, no cell phone. Like the room was dim. Like everything was like such a beautiful, relaxing experience. So her energy just for me, it wasn't right. And you, again, you have to be like, okay, is this working for me and the baby or is it not? And if it's not working, I don't think there's anything wrong with just asking for someone who's more fitting to the energy of the room. No, it's a really important message because it's, first of all, not a good time to be a people pleaser, but also, you know, the energy is a big deal. It doesn't mean that that's not a great nurse. It just means it wasn't the right nurse for you. And so there's probably somebody else in labor and delivery who is going to do great with that nurse. It's sort of like when you're dating or like, uh, you're not right for me, but I think you might be perfect for my friend. And so you don't get to have babies very often. And it's ideal if you can surround yourself with people that make you feel really relaxed and safe and supported. Absolutely. Speaking of which, you had your epidural. Did you feel anything? I did not feel one thing. It felt like <laughs> I was floating in the air on, I guess someone told me there's fentanyl in it. I didn't even know that. Mm-hmm. It's a cocktail. I did not feel one thing until you push. I'm talking about just laboring. I felt nothing and I labored for like a day. So during that time, what role did your doula and what role did Michael play for you? Well, at first I told my doula, go eat, go home, like go get some sleep because we pulled her out of bed. I said, I'll text you when I need you. And so we texted her right after the epidural. She came. She came back to the hospital. And my husband is absolutely amazing. I've known him since I was 12. So we haven't been together that long. I'm not crazy, but mm-hmm. I've been since I was 12 and he just really understands me and I really a hundred percent trust him. And so he was just making sure he was wide awake, making sure everything was going just seamlessly. He's just very, very good at making sure 
the baby was good and I was good. And then the doula was really good at setting the energy of the room. I think she changed the experience because she, one, she curated it, like I said, with the candles and the oils and massage and and the meditation, but also she just made Michael and I really comfortable. And I don't know what to attribute that to other than that was her vibe. That's her as a person, but without both of them, it would be a very different experience. And when I ended up pushing, she was like a coach and Michael was like, uh, I don't want to say motherly, but his energy was like very sweet energy, but she was more of like, you can do it. You can do it. Sounds like she was more of a coach and he was more maternal somehow. Yes, it was very interesting. And when my doula, the smartest thing throughout the whole birth that she told me that I think changed the whole experience was she whispered in my ear when I started to feel pressure. And she said, do not tell anyone that you have to push until you absolutely cannot stand it anymore. She said, don't say anything. So I waited and waited and waited until I absolutely felt like I had to push. Like there was nothing I could do. And then I let them know. And what that did was I had the baby in 20 minutes with like three or four pushes. Because if I had told them that I needed the baby out when I felt like I needed it out, I would have been pushing for two hours and I would have had the baby just sitting there. So I think that the most valuable thing she did was tell me to wait, 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 wait. And when I did start to push, the midwife was freaking out because on the first push, the baby was crowning. Oh, wow. (laughs) It was like, because I waited so long, right? She told me to wait so like so long and the midwife was freaking out because the doctor wasn't there. So she basically told me to hold the baby in. Yeah, your hospital has midwives on the floor that don't really deliver babies. They just kind of help with the monitoring and care of labor. Is that true? I didn't even know that. Yeah, so but there's one midwife there who really has privileges to deliver. The rest are not really meant to deliver. But if your doctor doesn't make it in time, then usually they have a resident and a midwife come in and work with you for the delivery. I guess we must have got a midwife that couldn't deliver because she basically told me, like, you have to wait. Until your doctor gets here, which I mean, I really think the baby would have been out in two pushes. She was like, you have to wait. And so my doctor got there within like 17 minutes, thank God. And um, it was quick. And if anyone's wondering what it feels like to push out a baby, it's like having a bowling ball on your apple and feeling like you (laughs) want to go take a shot. That's the way I can describe it. Like you want it out. And the second that I felt what it was going to feel like, I wanted it out. And people are like, well, the epidural, the epidural makes nothing painful, but you still feel pressure. Mm. So imagine like having to go to the bathroom without any pain, but there's still pressure. Oh, it's interesting. And so the doctor delivered the baby. Michael acted like cutting the umbilical cord was like climbing Mount Everest. And and, and (laughs) he was truly acting like it was like so hard to cut through that cord. It is kind of meaty. Oh, my God. <laughs> Unexpectedly meaty. You should interview him about birth. I should probably. I should actually separately interview him without him listening to I this I mean, he thinks he, he thinks he had his own experience. But, yeah, he <laughs> acted like the umbilical cord was horrible. Keep in mind, I did not have him anywhere near my vagina. He was by my head the entire time. Like, didn't see anything. Your choice. And then what no one tells you is that you think you're done after you deliver the baby and you're like, I did it. Like I am woman, hear me roar. 
And then they're like, okay, another push and you push and all this water comes out from, I don't know if it's from the catheter or what it's from, but all this water comes out and then they tell you to push again and it's your placenta. And then you're like, okay, like I'm done. (laughs) Like, no, now I'm going to stitch you up. And I had to get two stitches. And so she stitches you up. And then you're like, okay, I'm really done. And the nurse says, okay, I'm going to come push on your stomach every 15 minutes for the next three hours. Yeah, to, yeah, make sure your bleeding's under control and that you're I mean, the last thing in the world that you want after you just squeezed a seven-pound baby out is to have your stomach pushed on. So, I am curious, though. Did your stomach just go flat right after your baby came out? No. No, no, no. I was five months pregnant. I feel better about that too because mine didn't either after our first baby came out. Yeah, I was wondering. I was going to ask you about that. Yeah, my wife insisted on getting pregnant again before I lost all the weight from the first one, and then I just threw in the towel. (laughs) All right, let's take a break and find out how your postpartum and motherhood experiences will be right back. Welcome back to the Informed Pregnancy Podcast. We're talking to Lauren Everts, the skinny confidential. Let's talk about motherhood. Okay, so you already changed some things. You never thought you'd have a vaginal birth, and then you did have a great vaginal birth experience. First of all, is what you worried about after the fact, are you back to yourself in that region? Vagina-wise? Yeah. Vagina-wise, I cannot believe I have to say, because I feel like my due diligence for my job is to like report back to my audience. Things during pregnancy are, you have so many hormones and it's like wild. And then when you deliver vaginally, you're like, oh my God, everything is a hundred percent back to normal. And I would tell you that the hardest part of postpartum has nothing to do with my vagina. Like my vagina felt normal the day after. I don't know. I don't know if that's because I pushed and the baby came quick i don't know i the vagina was the least of my worries okay so like what you were originally worried about why you wanted to have a c-section was not an issue at all for you no not at all i'm doing my kegels like the vagina feels back to normal looks back to normal like it was fine then, where i had a problem was i was allergic to the tape from the epidural oh i remember that So it was like the worst, most disgusting rash you've ever seen on my back. And then also, I did lose 30 pounds when I left the hospital, but I have another 25 to 30 pounds to lose now. And I thought, oh, it's going to fall off and breastfeeding, like it doesn't just fall off. So those are the two things that have been really hard. I just remembered something funny. I was in Hawaii the week before you gave birth. Oh, yeah. And I flew back on a Sunday morning. It was a Sunday morning when you were in labor. or yeah, You were going to come in, but it was too late. It was one in the morning. And yeah, I was like staying in touch with you from right when I took off. And once we got closer to California, in between, I had no service. But I was like, all right, how you doing? So and I don't even remember barely texting you because the, the epidural makes you feel like you're high. Loopy. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, if it had gone on any longer, I might have walked in and been there with you. I would have had you come towards the end if you were in town, but you weren't. Like, I would have had you come in and do some body work on me. Or Would have been paternal. Michael would have been maternal. Yeah, you guys, I mean, you guys could have gotten married and rode off on like... (laughs) Okay, then you didn't want to breastfeed because you're worried about how it would affect your breasts. How's that going for you? This is what I'll say. 
the nurses after you give birth are so pushy for you to breastfeed. It is weird. Like I felt like I was in the twilight zone. I felt like I was churning butter in like 1920. Like they are so pushy for you to breastfeed. And I understand that they think that breast is best, but you have to understand. I just had a baby after nine and a half months of carrying her. I pushed her out. Like the last thing that I want to do at that very second is learn something that is so overwhelming. So when they're pushing it on you, for me, I've always been the type of person since I was born to when someone tells me that I have to do something, I don't like it. So in the, it, like when she was born, asked for formula. They told us at the hospital that they didn't have any hot water. What? And yeah, our pediatrician happened to be standing there when they told us that there was no hot water for our formula. And he looked at them and he said, you have hot water in this hospital. You go find them hot water. So I just want to put it out there that I couldn't. And listen, the nurses that we had when I delivered were absolutely amazing. And the nurses we had for the baby were absolutely amazing. But there were a couple of nurses that were so judgy that we weren't breastfeeding right away. I couldn't believe it. Had you made the choice that you were going to try breastfeeding? I wanted to do like colostrum and then I also wanted to have formula just in case. So we got hit formula it's from Germany. That's really amazing. And we, I heard a lot of good things about it, but they kept coming in and like squeezing my breast and I've had two breast augmentations and a lot of scar tissue. So after my body's been through so much trauma to squeeze the breast like that, it was, it was a lot. I mean, you also said that you had your first boob job 10 years ago and you also said you never thought about having kids. Like it wasn't a thing on your radar. Did you do it in a way that would preserve your ducks so that you could breastfeed if you want to? Yes. I mean, totally. I could breastfeed completely normal. Everything was fine, but I do have a lot of scar tissue from the surgery. So sensitive. Yeah, it's sensitive. And, and again, this is like where you have to be your own advocate. For me, it was too overwhelming for someone to be squeezing my breast like that after I had just had all these people touching me, squeezing me, poking me, massaging my perlinium or whatever the hell you call it. Like, it's like so many people touching you in every single facet of your body to have a nurse come in and start to squeeze your boob. It's almost too much. And again, so I had to say like right now, we're going to try to get the colostrum out for the baby and we're also going to be doing formula. And that's how I've approached the whole postpartum. It's like she is getting breast milk probably 65 to 70% of the time, but we also have formula too. And we're also not heating it up every single time. So she doesn't get used to it hot. We're doing a lot of different things. So she's malleable and flexible. Okay. When you say she's getting breast milk, are you breastfeeding or are you pumping and feeding? So I'm uh, started breastfeeding. And then realized that I did have to pump too. And I absolutely do not like pumping because if I'm going to pump, I like to pump on the go with like the LV, EV. Oh yeah. It's yeah. I like to pump on the go, but I am like sitting at home and just pumping. It just feels very medical to me. And the thing that I like about breastfeeding is I like the bond. Mm. I mean, you were also worried about how it would affect your appearance of your boobs. Has that been an issue for you? Or you said there were things you can do to mitigate that. So we're lucky enough that we have a night nurse, which is amazing. And not only is she about caring for the baby, but she's also about caring for the mother. 
and in that that includes your boobs and so she's given me all these incredible tips and tricks that I'm definitely going to write about on the skinny confidential and just tell your audience quickly are like cold nipple compresses after you're done breastfeeding there's these silver nipple covers that prevent any kind of rawness or redness or they're like antibacterial they're like $55 which is expensive but they're worth every penny and I put those on all the time and then a good nursing bra I would recommend wearing 24/7 I think where people maybe go wrong with the boob thing is that they don't realize that yes the baby needs all this care but so do your boobs your boobs are you know getting sucked on all day long so I have not experienced any like rawness or redness and as far as like the sagging i think that that you just have to really make sure you're wearing the right bra and that your pump fits comfortably and that when you're breastfeeding even like the baby like the baby's not hanging off your boob like you're supporting the head you're supporting the body i think all those things make a big difference in the long run that makes sense what other things are you doing to take care of you in this postpartum phase so i am doing mastiofascial release I need to come see you. Yeah. I, I, but with everything going on, that's been hard. I mean, r- right now, we don't normally talk about what's going on in the world, but right now we're in the midst, hopefully the height of the coronavirus outbreak of 2020. Yeah. And it must be hard to be stuck at home after being home so long. Yes. We talked about that briefly before. It's like I was pregnant for nine and a half months, no alcohol, like not no fun, but like, you know, I wasn't like out having fun with my friends, like having margaritas. And then after you have a baby, you're breastfeeding, you're home. Like I'm just taking care of her and like getting the hang of it. And like at seven weeks, this whole Corona thing happened. So I'm going kind of cabin fever. Yeah. I mean, people who want to do the 40 days of being in and around the baby after they come, oftentimes they think that they're going to love it. And then by the time they get to 25 or 30 days, they're going nuts and need to start getting out of the house. But you made Absolutely. it through pretty much. And now all of a sudden you're stuck for another month at least. Like I have not taken the full 40 days. In fact, I think I saw you actually now that I remember two weeks after I gave birth. Yeah, I saw I you really quick you. afterwards. I've definitely been out and about and I thought I was going to do maternity leave and I have certainly been working on my phone and, you know, been on email and taking conference calls and slowly getting back into it and walking and taking hikes. I think that something mothers can do that's really helped me is compression wear and wrapping the stomach. And again, this is just like me telling what's worked for me. No, I'm not telling anyone to do this, but like wrapping my stomach, I use this company that you actually recommended called Belly Bind. And oh, they so they come, come to you and wrap you. And you told me to do this. You're the one that yeah. like, you need to do this. They come to you and they wrap you up and you leave it on for like three days. And that's been really helpful. And then just like really normal compression wear belly binding, I think has really helped the uterus go back to the shape that it was. But I have to tell you, I am seven weeks postpartum and I still have a very thick layer of fat mm-hmm. everywhere. And that's the honest truth. Like, I'm by no means bounced back. I mean, I think that people say it takes nine months to get your full pregnancy body, and it takes nine months to get out of your full pregnancy body. And you're only seven weeks. You're not even two months out of it. I know, but you know this generation, how we are with quick things. I know. But realistically speaking, if people expect to snap back to their pre-pregnancy self, then they end up being 
let down usually. So yeah, I'm let down. <laughs> you gotta give yourself a, a little more time. You'll get there. I mean, I'm sure you're starting to exercise again and eating better. And once you do, you'll get back to a body that you're comfortable with again. I hope so. Because right now, maybe we'll do an interview when I'm back to being comfortable. Because right now, I feel like I don't fit into anything. I feel like everything's bloated. I'm carrying so much water weight. My boobs still feel really big because of the milk. The number on the scale is nowhere near where I want it. And I just realized I have a lot of work to do. But at the same time, I want to be able to enjoy my babies. Women experience just like so many different emotions. So wild. And I have so much respect for women everywhere. And then the thing that like just blows my mind is when you ask your husband to like go upstairs or downstairs and grab you a water and he goes, no, I'm watching TV. And you look at him and you're like, I just carried your child for nine months, pushed them out of my vagina. And now I'm breastfeeding them. You better get your ass up to the kitchen and get me a water. (laughs) That's right. How, How has it been on your relationship? The relationship thing's interesting. I'm in business with my husband, so I feel like I'm seasoned with him when it comes to working closely together. But I will say that having a baby, I think, is harder for teamwork than it is to be in business. I think that everyone has different opinions. Everyone has different ways of doing things. And then you add not as much sleep and not as much independence to the equation. And it's hard. And that's why I'm really excited to have your wife on our podcast to talk about relationships postpartum. And then also you can't have sex for six weeks. So that's hard. You have to give a lot of blood jobs. You know what I mean? <laughs> the, girl, the girl can't get anything. Like I'm a like, chopped liver. Like my boobs, like, like what am I going to do? Like French kiss? Uh, I mean, the relationship changes dramatically on every level. When you have just yourself and your partner, there's like three dynamics in your relationship. But then when you add a baby, it goes up to like nine dynamics in your relationship. So instead of just you to your partner and your partner to you, and maybe you as a couple to the outside world, now you have that, but it's also you to the baby, your partner to the baby, you as a couple to the baby, the trio to the outside world. It gets a lot more complex. Yeah. And it takes time to adapt to that. So I'm glad you're going to have her on to her program. I'm going to send you her program, theafterbirthplan.com, especially now with people stuck at home. She made it accessible so that you can just do it online at your own pace. And it's really dramatic how she kind of has insight from so many years of doing postpartum therapy to help the relationship adapt to having a third party (laughs) join the team. But now that you're seven weeks, at least the physical part of your relationship can resume for you. It can resume. And um, I feel like we got to do another episode with you on the podcast because I would love to know your opinion on everything. I feel like you're not super opinionated on how someone should deliver, but I do think that you have a lot of best practices that we have to pick your brain on. Sure. I'd be happy to. I have two more questions for you. Number one, I heard you're eating your placenta. Yes. I ate my placenta. Delicious. Yes. You know what? Here's the deal for me. I'll do anything in the name of beauty. Like I'll try anything. (laughs) I'm very open with things. And I believe there's a lot of different ways to skin a cat. And there's a lot of different ways to do life. And when it comes to my placenta, I've heard a lot of benefits. And again, I'm very logical. For me, the pros outweigh the cons. 
And if I can take a pill every day that's my placenta and there's some sort of magical benefit, great. And if it's a placebo effect, great. Mm-hmm. But for me, I wanted to do it. I had a doula and she took my placenta in a cooler, made it into pills. And what's interesting is that I'm almost done with them. There's a couple more left. And she told me to save those pills, the extra left over for my daughter for when she goes through puberty. Um, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, apparently it's really good for hormones and for women that are going through puberty. So I'm going to save them, freeze them, and give them to Zaza when she's 13. That was my last question. Zaza, uh, that's what you named her? Yes. Where does the name come from? So I'm obsessed with Zsa Zsa Gabor. I think that she is just such a classic Hollywood actress. But not only that, she always talked about how it's not important to be beautiful or to be intelligent. It's most important to be entertaining. And um, she's just unapologetically herself. She's obviously not alive anymore, but she was just such an iconic character and someone that really stood out to me to doing things on her own terms and beating to the tune of her own drum. And so I consumed all her autobiographies and for years and years, I told my husband how much I love Zaza Gabor. I was pronouncing her name wrong for years and years and years, (laughs) (laughs) thinking that was her name. And so when it came to like finding names for my daughter, the first name on the list was Zaza, but I didn't realize her name's actually pronounced Zaza. But Zaza was too hard to pronounce. So I went with Zaza and my husband loves it. And it's very, very fitting for her. It's unique, but it's also simple and easy to pronounce. And so it just was like the perfect name. Love it. Well, as always, you shared real, raw, and honest, and I'm grateful for it. And I know our audience loves to hear unfiltered. So I appreciate you for being here, Lauren. Where can we find you online? You can find me at The Skinny Confidential on Instagram and our podcast, The Skinny Confidential, Him and Her. And I'm glad that you found that as raw as my placenta. Are you doing TikTok? (laughs) I am doing TikTok. Um, And I think you need to get on. We'll talk. All right. I'm looking for, I'm going to check you out on TikTok and I'll see. I can't move. So you don't have to just move. You could just show like your five tips to being the best doula or the best chiropractor. Ooh. Okay. I'll check it out. Thanks again for being here and at home. Thanks for listening to the informed pregnancy podcast. For more pregnancy and parenting related media, visit us on Instagram at Dr. Berlin. That's D O C T O R B E R L I N. Give me the news, I got a hold.